welcome back to the line podcast my name is aaron alexander for newcomers to this program and it's a place to bring together the world's leading experts on all the things health wellness movement psychology sexuality consciousness all the parts that make your humanity function and that is exactly what we talk about in today's conversation with new york times best-selling author maximus lugavere also known as Max Lugavere. He is a dear friend, and uh, this was a fun conversation that I literally just got done recording like an hour and a half ago, and it's hot off the presses. A lot of the conversations in the past have been sometimes released as much as like six months to even more than that later. Um, I'm out of podcast episodes because this whole crisis thing, I haven't done a lot, which is great. It's better to be timely these days because if you like 2020 days are like 2019 months. So um, you got to say the right thing at the right time. And just time is moving fast. Uh, So I want to start off with a quote in somewhat in relation to the times. Uh, This is from Martin Luther King. It says, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught in in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, So that's cool. Kind of an interesting thing. I wonder, it's fascinating how in this time of observing suffering in the world, when you look at middle-aged white men, seemingly the, the luckiest in quotations, folks, um, they have the, the, by far the highest incidence of uh, suicide, which I, we talk about that in this, in this conversation. And um, it's a fascinating thing to, to weigh and measure suffering. It feels to me, based off of what MLK is saying, slash my own intuition, that if we are taking from another, we are in essence taking from ourselves. By giving to another, then we're giving back to ourselves. And you see that there's various different research that shows that people feel better by giving stuff away than by getting stuff. Yeah, so interesting, interesting things, this world. Uh, so conversation with Max, we get into the way that tonality affects our physiology, music, we get into uh, what's going on with the coronavirus stuff, we get into some of the the current events and how that impacts us at a neurological level, Uh, inflammation, all the things, this mind-body stuff. Um, If you guys are interested in going deeper and understand how to take control of your physiology, uh, I recommend jumping onto alignpodcast.com. And from there, you can learn how to integrate more effective movement into your work life. That is a big thing. We're sitting in chairs and offices and car seats and traveling and all that stuff. That is a huge deal. We spend an immense amount of time of our days and our lives in our work situations, um, sitting in chairs, looking at screens. And so the first thing you'll see there is a how-to video on how to uh, make those situations be opportunities because everything truly is an opportunity if you have the education on how to do it. That's what the Align Method is. It teaches you how to integrate more effective movement into your life, what that means, why that matters, and that is what you will learn at alignpodcast.com. You can also jump onto Align Podcast on the Instagram. Alrighty, I would like to read a quick review and then we're going to start this thing. Uh, I so greatly appreciate your reviews. It helps the algorithmic gods know that we're out here. 
and we out here. Here we go. This podcast is it all. This is from Kim Fernald. Thank you, Kim. Uh, incredibly intelligent conversations. A humble, articulate host with a gift for keeping the conversation relatable and a library of information to guide you along your learning path in health and mind body wellness. Podcast is the bomb exclamation point. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for your excellent work. You have a wonderful style for engaging your listeners and the guests and topics are thoughtfully chosen. Keep it going. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate that. Uh, if you guys want to leave reviews, I love them. I haven't cried for one for a while, but I think I'm just, my soul is becoming colder. But it's, I, I actually give a dang about them. I appreciate that. It's helpful. All right, here we go. Back to the program with my homeboy, New York Times bestselling author, badass, Max Lugamere. Bam. I was thinking yesterday how um, by only projecting positive messages out into the social media world or YouTube world or what have you world, it could be indirectly a form of violence in a way. Because yeah. Because it's not telling the whole story. Wow, I like that idea. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. You know, so you think you're like, you're like, oh, I'm like, well, I'm like an inspirational guy. It's like, well, there is something to being honest with where you're at and letting people actually... Uh, be actually along with you on the journey and acknowledging that like I don't actually always feel this way that I project out into the social medias each day. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird thing that we feel this. Yeah, there's this, like this selection bias with what we post on social media. We tend to only post ourselves when we look great, yeah. you know, when the lighting is perfect, when we're feeling super psyched about life. And it, I think it, it leads to this very skewed image. And uh, I think that can do a of a type of subtle harm to people's mental health. Well, it forces people to feel like they always have to kind of have like a costume one of, of sorts. Like that's something that throws me off. I'll go out of my way oftentimes to tell people that I, I feel shitty, you know, or I feel like, <laughs> oh man, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I slept in too late. And then, you know, I, you know, just going through the, the perils of my day. Yeah. Um, just to get out of the, the common orientation of like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great, man. Best day ever. <laughs> oh, everything's just great. I really like your social media persona. <laughs> I feel like whenever I look at your stories, it's like this close up of the beard. It's like you don't really go out of your way to find like a super flattering angle. Not that you don't look handsome. How like dare on you. Those, on those, you know, in your stories, you do. You're a handsome man. But, you know, you'd have to like work to, uh, to, you know, to find an unflattering image. But I feel like you just don't care. It doesn't seem like you care all that much. No, that's you, not true. And I care. Even I care. I'm learning how to unwind the care. You are? Yeah. Yeah. I'm in process. Me too. Yeah. I uh, I posted a, an image of myself um, from the bookstore the other day, yesterday, showing... Uh, it was the first time I got to see my book in a bookstore. And mm. I saw yours too. Actually, we were, we were in the bookstore and my brother pointed out your book. He was like, oh, that's that guy. Oh, that's great. And I was like, yeah, it's my homie. I look like I'm 13 years old in the cover. 13 like a really jacked like mid adolescence <laughs> a 13 year old that went through precocious puberty yeah and is probably taking anabolic steroids yeah. <laughs> uh, i think that's the vibe <laughs> yeah that's the vibe <laughs> that's the vibe your publisher was they, that's what they were going what was for. your experience doing the book during the the crisis I've, I've been asking people how's your how are your crises um it's been it was weird it was weird launching the book at that time because it my book came out literally the week that it seems like everything kind of shut down and it was a there was this culmination of fear and uncertainty 
you know, now I think people are still afraid of the coronavirus, but there's a lot less, I think we're a little bit more um, informed about, uh, you know, it's kinetics and, and how it, how it travels and things like that. But at, at the beginning it was what, you know, it was like, what is this thing? It was just, there were, there were so many question marks. And so it kind of, I just remember putting the book out, uh, a lot of the, some of the press that I had done got preempted by like Trump, uh, you know, press conferences and things like that. Mm. And so that was kind of a bummer. I mean, I obviously, you know, was going through the, the, motions with this thing like everybody else was but you work really hard oh and then you also you end up posting about a book like a project that you've worked really hard on for years and people are like you know idiots on the, on the internet are like this isn't the time <laughs> like no bitch i've been playing this for two years exactly <laughs> it's the time yeah <laughs> exactly like this is coming out whether you it's like a baby it's like it's coming out whether you it's fucking want it to or not <laughs> and um and so i i think that i i was able to walk that that tightrope well um and so the book came out it did as well as i had hoped for it to do and um yeah i'm super proud of it but yesterday or or the you know a couple of days ago was the first time i got to see it in a bookstore because bookstores have been shuttered since yeah. since it came out yeah i still haven't seen mine i've been experiencing a somewhat of like a deep ish reevaluation of what matters or what i really what is actually meaningful in my life and so i've i've found the these crises now there's we're, we're two we're <laughs> yeah. anticipating the third could be what's that gonna be i don't know on, aliens financial deeper financial crisis aliens oh huh, yeah or technological virus huh yeah that would be a big one it's what a year it's been so far <laughs> yeah um but i feel like the i mean the silver lining is that now i feel like as a society we're almost ready for anything I mean, we've dealt with all, we've gone through a lot collectively. I don't know. I feel like the, the coronavirus felt like an American crisis. Felt like it was like a nerf crisis. Hmm. Didn't feel, it's still, I don't think we've like really felt. Yeah. You know, now there's a lot of imaginary money being infused into the system hmm. that there creates like a temporary balm. Yeah. You know, so I still feel like, like I was looking into the impact of unemployment and the impact that that has on on suicides and deaths in general um and it was have you heard this is it's for every 1% increase annually is a 37,000 increase in uh death wow. via suicide via wow. you know correlated to depression yeah, yeah. domestic violence anything like that and now the unemployment is at what is it 20% or something astronomical? Yeah. I mean, now it's starting to shift because things are starting to turn on, but it's, it's, it's very strange. Yeah. But it's what the, I think what to me has kind of kept my sense of optimism afloat is the fact that once the fear and uncertainty around the virus kind of is mitigated, then wouldn't the economy just snap back to the way that it was prior to the pandemic? Like once things open up again, it's not like, I mean, there's going to be a slow reopening, but I mean, people are going to are wanting to go out to restaurants again. People are wanting, I think, to return to see live comedy and concerts and, and things like that. Um, so to me, I feel like, yeah, the unemployment thing was real, but, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't it just snap back to the way that it was? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I'm, know. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see. I mean, people are still I feel like we've been almost habituated to be 
kind of afraid of each other, hmm. you know, so we're, we've kind of like cultivating this, this society of agoraphobes. So you feel like, you feel like attendance at events and movie theaters and comedy clubs are going to be kind of permanently depressed. I don't know. Yeah. But there right. is a demographic of people that are still like staunch. I'm afraid of this. Yeah. Which more power to them. I don't know what the right decision is. I, I, I definitely lean on the side of like lean on your immune system and yeah. You know, you have the ability to deal with viruses. I'm a I'm a I'm I've a lot of musician friends and you know, the music industry has been just over the past decade, couple of decades really, it's been uh transformed by technology in the way that most um you know like independent artists these days make a living is by touring. And so I really feel for the artists out there, especially the musicians, because, yep. you know, when is the next time they're going to be able to like go on tour? Yeah. That's a, that's another big sort yeah, of people, card. people need purpose and they need each other, you know, and that's like another, I'm just been going into all these unnecessary statistics. There's a, a Mark Twain quote. There's, there's, there's lies, damn lies. And then there's statistics. Mm -hmm. So I'm always kind of like precautious of, of regurgitating all the different things. Yeah. But surveys show that three out of five Americans report feeling lonely, mm. which perhaps that's like a fine thing. Maybe three being, out of four. Is it three out of four now? No, wait. Is that what you said? I saw three out of five. Three out of five. I saw some oh. NPR thing that said three out of five. Wow. But I mean, I'm, whatever. I think it depends. on. And then also it's like, who the hell is taking surveys? Like I haven't taken a survey, you know, ever. Same. You know, so there's, there's those numbers are obviously skewed. But it, I wonder what, so there's the financial impact on our health. But then there's the, the distancing impact. And so before Corona, there was this three out of five, three out of four, whatever, a really high percentage of people reporting to be like, I feel really lonely in my life. Yeah. You know, and now there's state mandated loneliness, <laughs> which is just like, whoa. It's messed up. <laughs> it's messed up. I, um, just before like this all went down, I, met a girl and uh it like you know without projecting too far into what like the relationship could have been it was like we were unable to like hang out grab a drink go on a date or anything like that because of this whole coronavirus thing her her friends wouldn't let her venture outside of like the the immediate circle mm -hmm. you know with whom they were they were quarantining and i felt kind of well, I felt conflicted about it because I thought that it's so difficult to meet people in general these days, you know, without being in the middle of a pandemic, that if you meet somebody that you feel like you connect with, that you should be willing to take that risk. And maybe that's just me, but I felt like um, kind of bummed about the fact that she wouldn't like, you know, she, she didn't want to hang out, even though seemingly there was like some kind of interesting vibe between us. But at the end of the day, uh, I've, I've been pretty lucky to spend the the, the time quarantining with my family who now, you know, my, my entire family pretty much uh, lives in LA and my dad is um, in it. He's now 70 and he's a smoker. Mm. If you'll, you know, imagine that. And so he's, I guess, pretty high risk. And, uh, and so it's made me, you know, kind of like think a little bit more carefully about, you know, the risks that I'm willing to take, but yeah, people are, people definitely um, have been feeling, I think, you know, alienated from one another. Um, and they, what, you know, what do people do when, when they feel, you know, isolated, they turn to social media and social media these days has been so inflamed. I mean, even before the black lives matter movement, um, social media 
uh, you know, which we were talking about as soon as we we started rolling, presents this very weird portrait of a person, you mm. know. And so I think it really is a recipe for, um, for for feeling lonely, but even worse, just for for poor mental health. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been, you know, looking at all you know viewpoints from from both sides of the aisle, from all different you know types of people. Uh, about the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think one thing that seems to be um, true about it is that the timing of it, you know, the timing of it really, the fact that like everybody, so many people lost their jobs. People were feeling isolated and alienated and disconnected from one another. And then this awful thing happens with George Floyd. You know, it basically was like the, uh, what's it called? What's that like really easily flammable part of like when you're starting a campfire? It's like, kindling tinder, tinder? Yeah, it's yeah like the, it was like the tinder yeah for a fire and then just everything blew up yeah you know yeah we were like a, a tinder box of sorts where it yeah. was it was we were this this pressure chamber that was in dire need of of decompression you know and so it really was a, a perfect storm you know in a, in a lot of different ways um i wonder how does the the genius life the book how does that relate how have you found mm, overlaying your work into providing meaning in the world today? Because that's something that I've kind of, I for a moment was just like, fuck everything I'm doing. I don't, it doesn't even, I don't even <laughs> think it even matters. You know, like, well, I'm just going to go mulch the land and move rocks and go to Oregon and shoot guns. And like, I'm going to just step away because yeah. who cares about their hips? And my stretchy pants. <laughs> I Who care, cares? Aaron. I care. <laughs> Every time I hang with you, I feel like I learn something that helps that helps me feel better in my body, which I'm always grateful for. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, my book my book really is um, the genius life I wrote to help people really regain metabolic health. And just before or just as it came out, you know, this whole pandemic thing occurred. And what we've learned is that one of the key determinants as to whether or not a person is going to suffer from morbidity or God forbid mortality um, from the virus is really like the linchpin seems to be whether or not a person is in good metabolic health. And unfortunately today that award is given to the few, like 12% of people in this country um, achieve what, what um, clinicians would call good metabolic health. Isn't obesity 60% in America presently? Yeah. By the year 2030, one in two people are going to be obese and one in four are going to be morbidly obese. Oh. Um, so it's not 60% now. I it mean, is 60 I mean, Yeah, no, it is, yeah. 66% of people today are either overweight or obese. Oh, yeah. So obese is, you know, obesity is different from being overweight. Yeah. Many, many people are overweight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so within that 66%, you've got uh, people that are just, you know, mildly so over So there's still fat. a third of people that aren't, that aren't considered overweight in America. Well, they're normal weight. But you can actually still, about 20% of normal weight people are normal weight metabolically obese. So they're normal weight, but you look under the hood and they're in pretty poor metabolic health. Yeah. And um, in tandem with that, about 20% 20 of overweight people are in good metabolic health. Yeah. So that's why, you know, your weight is a pretty good surrogate marker for your metabolic health. Like it correlates pretty tightly to how you're doing, you know, on the inside. Um, but it's not, it's imperfect. So that's why I think just eating a healthy diet, regardless of how good you look in the mirror, 
um, is important. That's why sometimes you see athletes, athletes that have like amazing bodies, but then internally, you know, they're suffering from insulin resistance and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then also youth, I think is a pretty good shield. A lot of people, you know, they look good and they eat a lot of junk. Um, but that catches up to you, uh, in the long run. Yeah. Just, just looking good in the mirror is not necessarily like a, um, you know, insurance that you're healthy. Why was obesity such a factor or is obesity such a factor with, uh, susceptibility or vulnerability to coronavirus? Is it just, is it a metabolic, metabolic thing or is it a, a obesity itself thing? Or are those separate or are those the same? I think what it implies is that you have high baseline levels of inflammation, mm. you know, obesity, type two diabetes, they're both associated with elevated, uh, Elevated levels of inflammation, you know, which is basically an immune system that's been activated. And I think the riskiest thing about the coronavirus, what happens, it's called a cytokine storm. And it's just, you know, your body just, you, you know, your immune system panics and it becomes, it damages the lungs. Cardiac tissue, I think now there's evidence that it's a, it's a vascular, it can be, you know, it, it may be a vascular uh, virus as well that affects your vasculature. Um, so yeah, I mean it's, you know, when you're when you're inflamed, your immune system is already working in sort of overdrive. Yeah. Um and inflammation is not a bad thing. I mean, you've talked about this, I'm sure many times on your podcast. Uh inflammation is really designed by nature to spot clean. You know, cuts, mm -hmm. wounds, scrapes, if you sprain your ankle, if you um, you know, if you cut your finger, it's there to basically rush uh, fresh blood, immune cells to the area to make sure that, you know, that small scrape or bruise or whatever won't end up killing you. Today, our immune systems are responding not so much to those kinds of acute and localized threats, but to what we're eating and how we're living. So, you know, as opposed to in the past, inflammation would be used by our bodies locally and acutely. Now it's systemic and it's global. Yeah. And, you know, then you throw this virus into the mix and it just seems to be like the perfect storm. And then the reaction to the virus being one that would induce greater amounts of things like depression and loneliness and all that, which then circles back to being correlated to yeah. greater amounts of inflammation. Yeah. It becomes like a, vi a vicious cycle. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's really bad. And then, you know, Paul Saladino has been sort of like talking about this a lot on social media. He's a medical doctor who actually did his residency in psychiatry. So I think, it, you know, he offers a pretty unique perspective. But the fact that, you know, we've been told to, to, you know, the whole quarantine thing, stay out, you know, stay inside, basically. I mean, your average person today already spends 93% of their time inside. It's one of the reasons why we're all so, you know, deficient in vitamin D, close proximity to our kitchens, to our refrigerators, to, you know, ultra-processed junk foods. We're being told to buy shelf-stable foods, or at least we were initially, you know, foods that are going to, that, um, that aren't necessarily going to go bad too quickly. We're staying, we're, you know, we're keeping out of the sun. We're even the term social distancing. I had a problem with since day one. I mean, really what, what I think we should be doing, you know, in, in, as we await further clarity about how the virus spreads is physical distancing, but why should we social distance? Right. You know, social distance to me implies that we can't like still find ways to be connected to you know, our friends and our loved ones. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, it really has created a, a, a perfect storm. But, you know, yeah, it seems to be, the virus seems to be a lot less, I mean, granted, a lot of people have died and it's a, and it 
has been a big tragedy so far. So I don't want to diminish that, but it seems to be a lot less dangerous than I think we initially thought that it was. That it was. I wonder if you can, ch- if one can change their the dynamics of their relationships based off of the type of nutrition that they put into their their face. You know, so if it's like we put certain, so we have this stressful experience that increases inflammation and kind of has similar effects as you know depression would or eating certain inflammatory foods would, um, and so that then creates this nasty feedback loop that you're you're talking about. Can one start to reverse that feedback loop and use nutrition as a lever to start to kind of span out into other parts of their life? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, when when you're inflamed, you basically, like any animal, you exhibit what zoologists refer to as sickness behaviors. And these behaviors are designed to basically isolate you from the herd, prevent spreading of whatever pathogen you might be, um, you know, under, under the assault from. Uh, it's designed to reserve these, these behaviors are designed to reserve, um, energy for healing. And it's actually been postulated that major depression is an extreme form of sickness behavior. Hmm. And so if we're inflamed due to what we're eating and it's causing us to have all these subconscious drives, you know, to like distance ourselves from our, from our, from our, uh, social groups, um, then yeah, the other side of that coin is that you could eat and live in a way that's going to reduce inflammation, keep you robust viral, healthy, and that's going to support, you know, being socially active. Also making sure that you're getting adequate sleep. Matthew Walker, who's a, a yeah. have you had him on your podcast? Not He's yet. A, I'd yeah. love to reach out to him. Do you, do you know him? I don't know him, but, um, but he, I know his research and he actually published a study, a very interesting study that found that sleep deprivation actually acts like a social repellent. Um, so when people are sleep deprived, they actually, um, not only are they less inclined to want to socialize, but they actually make people less attracted to you. It actually makes like being, being, um, wearing sleep deprivation on your face somehow sends like a subliminal message to others to kind of keep their distance. Whoa. Yeah. It's a study that I talk about in the, in the new book, the genius life. Cause I go into ways of optimizing your sleep. Um, and so that's important, but yeah, minimizing like eating in a way that, that is not inflaming your body, making sure that you're getting adequate sleep. Um, even altruism falls under a domain of uh, a cognitive domain called executive function. So like our ability to be altruistic and to think about others empathetically in a way that isn't just about serving our own immediate needs for survival. All, that's like, you know, making sure that we're well-nourished, well-fed, that we're, you know, exercising, that we're taking care of our bodies basically then allows us the uh the space to i think then be altruistic and to and to project empathy and to care about others you know in the world so it's i think it's all intricately related damn yeah so we naturally it's innate in our genetics to naturally social distance when yeah when we're expressing sickness behavior yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is that because we're we're a, I mean, a larger it. organism and we want to take care of the the grander organism? I mean, most most organisms will will do this. Like if you've ever had a sick pet, um I mean if and also if you've ever been sick yourself, you notice that like you know, you you tend not to think about sex. You don't really have a huge appetite grooming and things like that become less of a priority animals you know all zoo animals display the same behaviors if you've ever had a sick pet 
um, you know, they do the same thing. Like if you have a cat, you know, they won't, they won't groom themselves as much. Uh, so that, what that basically tells you is that your immune system in a way that is completely subconscious changes your behavior and it changes your sort of hierarchy of like the things you prioritize in your life. Mm. So that's, so f- that's why sometimes you to knock up, knock the rust off, you'll sleep with whoever. Maybe, you know, yeah. If a person's in like, it's like, man, I haven't, I've been expressing sickness behavior for nine months. Like I've just been alone. I haven't shaved my anything. You can also, I mean, you can, it also kind of gives you a way to subjectively um, get a sense of whether or not you're healthy. So it's like the three H's, you know, if you're happy, if you're hungry, if you're horny, Uh. chances are you're doing pretty well internally. But if you're, if you're depressed, if you don't have a sex drive, um, and if you are not, uh, if you, if you lose your appetite, you know, there's probably something going on. How does a person increase their sex drive, sex drive via food? That's a good question. I mean, there are ways that you can support, um, you know, or via anything. Yeah. Well, you can, I mean, you can support like your hormones with food, with diet. Um, I mean, you can support testosterone production. Testosterone is also important for women. I mean, they have about uh, a 10th of what we have as men, but, um, but it's important for well-being. It's important for body composition. It's important for sex drive. Um, yeah, I mean, just making sure that you're nutritionally replete. About 90% of people are, are deficient today in at least one essential nutrient. Um, and uh, when there's this idea that when you are when you have nutrient deficiencies, what is available in the body is going to be um, funneled basically into processes that are required for immediate survival as opposed to like long-term health and procreation is one of those things that like it guarantees the survival of the species but not necessarily the survival of the individual Mm. and so um, making sure that you're that you don't have any like major nutrient deficiencies i think is important Mm. um what are ones that stand out with people I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of diet you're eating. If you're a, a vegan or vegetarian, there are certain nutrient deficiencies that, um, you know, like uh, I think zinc, vitamin B12, I guess is the obvious one, uh, iron. Um, yeah, there's like there's like a range. Creatine is not an essential nutrient, but I think that if you're a vegan or vegetarian, you should probably supplement with uh, creatine, you know, for, for mental and cognitive cognitive health. Yeah. Um, what else is there? Uh, choline is super important. It's, uh, not essential. It's conditionally essential, but about 90% of people don't consume adequate, uh, choline, um, which is important for healthy, you know, uh, brain, brain tissue, um, cognitive function. Uh, it's a methyl donor. So it's important for detox and, you know, DNA production and DNA expression and things like that. Um, Omega threes, I think, are super important. Most people, you know, consume pretty low amounts of preformed omega threes every day. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, you know, people. It depends on kind of like who you are, but, um, but you know, the the fact that the modern food supply today has become saturated with ultra processed foods that are, for the most part, um, nutritionally, you know, v- like they just they've been wrung free of like an ultra processed food generally is like pretty nutrient deficient. Yeah. And, uh, these are the kinds of foods that most of us are kind of basing our diets around. 
And so that's one of the reasons why I think so many of us are are deficient in the, in these nutrients. We live in a world today that has led to many of us being overfed but undernourished. Yeah, I've heard a, kind of a similar analogy from uh, Jack White, White Stripes guy, hmm. and he was referring to analog music being like that's like the whole yeah. you're getting the whole sound. Hmm. And then when you you cut over to digital music, you're getting a copy that's all bitted out to be able to fit into this little piece of information. Interesting. And so it's it's kind of like what he what he suggested is that by listening to that 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 bitted out isn't the right term, but that like you know that copy of of the of the sound. Um, because the way that do you know the way that that digital music works? I, f- I feel like you've ex- explained this to me before. I wouldn't be able to explain it well enough. But it's like it's cut into like thousands of little bits and then re-pieced back together essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's probably like a you probably when you're recording live music, you're probably getting frequencies that you can't even hear, but they're being recorded. Yeah. Um and so they're on they're they're just there and then when you're doing a digital reproduction you're probably just like using i don't know the the exact terminology but it's probably like a high pass and a low pass filter you're probably just like skimming off the top you're skimming off the high end and the low end of what you you know what you reasonably would expect humans to not necessarily be paying that much attention to right and so you're getting just this like really kind of narrow frequency and then also there's like the artifacts of of compression so like today the vast majority of music that we listen to has been compressed. Mm. Um, I mean, the question is like, can you, is, is it, is it audibly different well, in the so practical what, sense? What he would suggest is, is on is. face value, you know, the apple just looks like an apple. Yeah. The chicken just looks like a chicken, you know, and the sound just sounds like a song. Yeah. But in fact, it actually leaves from what he suggested, which I think he was just, you know, high and talking about things or whatever, which I, you know, I think is great. Um, but it, it, it leaves the listener feeling tired. Interesting. You wow. know, because now you have to, you have to fill in that extra space. Wow. Whereas when you get the, the whole food version of the sound, you actually go to a, a live music show. Yeah. You actually have a conversation with somebody. You actually wow. have sex with somebody instead of looking at a screen while you're wanking yourself. <laughs> You know, when you get to have that full experience, your body says, oh, okay, cool, I can fill in all the nooks and crannies. Yeah. But when you're always living this supplement-based life, this copy version, then it's like, it seems on the front, you know, it's like a, a, a cheap, shitty house in like one of those like box neighborhoods. They just like throw it up. You know, it's not like a fucking castle. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we laid each brick by brick <laughs> like nature did this. It's like a whole food house. <laughs> It's a whole food house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Have you had Jack White on your podcast? I want to. Oh, man. No. That's cool. Jack White's great. I So I, I have my own podcast. It's called The Genius Life. You've been yeah, on it. You've yeah. been on it three times, I think, at this point. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know why you keep letting me, letting me back. <laughs> I, dude, I love it. You're one of my favorite guests. <laughs> I think that you offer a ton of value. I, I just love the way that. that you... I mean, you're such a good speaker. Um but uh, my goal with the podcast, even though it's in the health and wellness and fitness vertical, like I definitely want, um, and I've been priming the pump. I've been having like a greater range of, of, of like you know guests on it. Ultimately, I want to have um, my favorite musicians on it, my favorite comedians. Yeah, on you want to diversify because all that's yeah. health. Yeah, you know, like I was thinking last night of 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 music. You know, it's like you're literally casting spells on people. Our video person's playing with a cat in the background. Yeah, it's, it's very like sweet. My Max cat, and Max. So cute. 
It's fantastic. Yeah, her name is her name is Delilah. Delilah. What a great! I, I stepped on Delilah before we started this. It's okay. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. You, you walk into somebody's house and step on their animal. That's the most it's action not she's good. gotten all day. <laughs> she's just like a. It's, it's novelty. <laughs> what was I talking about? I was excited before I got. Oh, musicians! Up. It's it's part of. Oh, health. it's yeah. freaking health, yeah. man! Yeah. You know, we get all wrapped up in vitamin this and mineral that and all that stuff, but then it's like a, you know. Like, just music. Like, you just getting a, a kazoo, a drum, yeah. a flute, anything, and starting to, one, there's all the obvious. Like, we break everything down in these isolated Western mechanics perspectives. It's like, well, when you're breathing into the flute, you're, that exhalation mm-hmm. is stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system and toning the vagus nerve. And, you know, it's like the people that are the healthiest people, I think, don't realize they're healthy. They just happen to be traveling through life in such a way that they don't do those 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 sickness behaviors. Yeah, you know. But I think music is one of those things where it's like it is a vital nutrient. I think touch is one of those things where you know, there's endless mountains of research that indicate that it it literally responds to your body like a nutrient. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I think that the food conversation, and I might just be you know, having flashbacks, but I, th- I think that the food conversation is much bigger than just food. Yeah. You know, nutrition. Yeah. I have a, one of my good friends is, uh, he's a musician. His name is Matt Nathanson. And we talk about this analogy all the time. We talk about how, you know, news and information can be, you know, you can get, you can be, you can have a diet. We literally will use the term diet. You can have a junk food sort of news and information diet, yeah. or you can have like a whole food and a, and a n- nutritious uh, news and information diet. And I think the same thing applies to music. You can have like, you know, there's like whole food music and there's junk food music. We need um, some records up in here. Yeah. Damn. I was actually looking yet like yesterday on like a record player to get because, you know, I feel like that would be a cool thing. Um, I think it all comes back to that. I think that's something that this time and something that I've heard is like all the things. I heard Robert Kiyosaki say this in this very ominous way. He's the guy that wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's said something along the lines of like everything that is new will will go essentially yeah, yeah. like it will come back to the old and he's referring to like gold and real estate and things like that the things that are like they've been here forever mm-hmm. they're going to stay the world's as we kind of lose our bearings in this kind of chaos it'll come back to once you push the dust away it's like where's the stone at yeah you know and it, it's i feel like that's it's an interesting thing with music you know it's like when you if you become kind of, I don't know what the term is, agitated enough by all of the, the social media and all the buzzing and all the static and all the stuff, eventually I think you, you kind of, it's like a, like a like cycle of sorts. You kind of get through that and then you eventually wind back to being the old guy on the porch. It's like, I'm going to get one of those record machines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I totally, yeah, I totally see that. And especially also from a music production standpoint, I'm not sure if this is the case for modern, for, for music that's produced these days, but certainly um, music that was produced before a certain, uh, you know, before a certain decade was was produced to ultimately end up on analog and then would, would get transferred to these more digital um, platforms like, you know, CDs or, or, or digital music or what have you. But like if you're listening to say Nina Simone on Spotify, I'd be very interested to hear what, you know, what her music would sound like coming out of a, coming off a of vinyl yeah. because, you know, her, 
that you know music of that era was was literally produced to end up on vinyl. Yeah. Um, and so that would be the purest manifestation, I think, of that. But for music produced today, you know, it's all being produced today with you know with the producer knowing that the ultimate destination is going to be you know one of these platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, what have you. Hmm. And uh, and I'm not uh, uh, I'm definitely not an expert in this, but I'm I'm a musician, so I've got like you know a tiny bit of experience. Um, doing this and it's just uh it is super interesting you're not just a musician you've like you've got cds and shit you're like this is like yeah. a, you're a, a part of your history yeah slash present yeah i don't think people know that people don't max do- lugamere look him up yeah <laughs> i've got if you go to my if you go to my no, that's really, on my youtube channel i've got a bunch of max like, doesn't like talking about it he's very modest well because i think he it's, doesn't want to distract from his message the purity of his message yeah well because i i believe so i love i'm i'm very lucky in that i love what i do in the health and wellness space and uh you know whether it's like my books or my instagram content or my podcast um and i just wouldn't want uh but back when I first got started, I thought that by doing music in tandem with that, it would take away from my, it would hurt my credibility as a... Why do you think that? That sounds so crazy in my mind. Again, don't listen to me in any kind of business tutelage well, or social I think, media, anything. Because I, I think the problem lies in like the human condition. People want to think of you in one way. Uh. They want to think of you as like one... They want to think of you as a brand, the way that they think about Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever, you know? And so I basically made the decision to kind of put the music on the back burner publicly. But I still, it's something that I still do most days. In fact, the journey of becoming a better musician is one of the most gratifying things in my life. Like, because I started playing music terrible at it. Like, I didn't grow up playing music. I picked up the guitar in my mid-20s, and I certainly was never a singer. I literally didn't know how to sing. I intellectually I didn't like I what I what I what I told myself was that there are enough people in the world that sing that it can't be it's not magic. There's got to be something. There's got to be like a method, like a teachable method to singing, to the act of singing. Mm. And so once I intellectually was able to like figure out what it was, there's certainly I mean singing is an art and so it's not all you know like you, you can't be too analytical about it because the the best singing moves you in a way that you can't sort of distill to technique necessarily but one i realized that if i was if 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 i could somehow learn the technique and just practice that and practice that and just like you know learn the rules of singing like what it actually meant and playing guitar and all that that i would be able to ultimately um one day do it that it wasn't something that i was like excluded from it wasn't like a club that like i couldn't ultimately find my way into you know Hmm. And so I just dedicated myself to learning how to do it. Like I, I, I remember there were there was a series of years that um, every single day I was practicing for multiple hours a day, like two, three hours every single day, singing, s- r- recording myself, sounding horrible, but just recording myself, listening back, recording, listening back, um, letting you know, making other people, friends of mine, suffer through like my music so that they could give me, you know, as honest feedback as they would on it and over time I just got like better and better and better and um but the coolest thing I think about music is that you're always getting better you know like I still to this day like I can listen to myself sing certain things and I'm like wow like I really love my voice there I love the tone of my voice there I sound great but then there are other things that I sing where I'm like wow that is going to take me some work you know yeah. um and to me one of the 
aside from the musical journey, it has had this spillover effect into other areas of my life um, that that I think is just, you know, provides so much value. There's like this crossover effect. And I actually talk about this in my new book, The Genius Life, in terms of physical stress, like when we do certain things like, you know, cold water immersion. It's funny being able to bring it all back to like health, but cold water immersion, sauna therapy, you know, high intensity interval training, like the, when we become more adapted to those individual pursuits, there is what's called cross, a cross adaptation effect occurs where we become more resilient in other areas of our life, namely like psychologically. That's why exercise is so great for our mental health or why saunas and cold water immersion is so great for our mental health. But going back to music, the thing about music that's been so valuable like outside of the the musical journey itself is that it's taught me that really you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to. Mm. You might not be able to do everything, but you can do anything. Whatever it is that like that you want to do, um, you know, if you just dedicate yourself to it, uh, nothing is off limits. Because I was the least musical person ever, and um, and now when I put clips of myself singing on YouTube or or on Instagram, you know, I'll get like like nine out of 10 people will be like, you know, they love my, they love the way that I sound and they want more of it. There's always one asshole. In your, in your social media that yeah. is, that is like the Max Lugavere. Yeah, yeah, like the like health, genius, yeah, genius yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah like occasionally. That's because people want you to be a human. Yeah. They like it. Yeah. But then there's always, <laughs> there's always that one, there's always that one, there's always that one <laughs> asshole that's like, you know. There's always who's a, be. Who's, a, who's a fan and they don't realize how powerful they're you know yeah. some, some people don't realize they're just in pain they're, they're hurt like, yeah yeah they want they'll to be, be like they'll be like don't quit your day job yeah I'm like, all right <laughs> yeah yeah that person just sucks. I'll be like f you yeah it's fine it's all right that, no what that person needs is a response of like it's probably really hard in there or they don't they don't need in to their hear life that, but yeah but like what yeah. they need is like some form of compassion yeah yeah 100 percent um, the people that are the shittiest need the most hugs. It's like a strange paradox. Well, and the but the but the other thing is that I I don't think that people ultimately really know how um, important words are. You know, like yeah. like I am I try to be very deliberate about like the words that I use, um, almost to a fault. Because if I like you know if I'm not sure about something or if I yeah I just I think. There's that Don Miguel Ruiz book, like The Four Agreements. Mm -hmm. You got to be impeccable with your word, you know? And I, I realized, like, you have, like, these moments in life that seem really insignificant, but then you remember them forever, and you, you know, you wonder why you remember them forever, and you probably remember them for a reason. So there was this one, there was this friend of mine who was, like, this struggling musician, um, and uh, he, he, like, sang and he wrote songs, but his songs were, like, never great or whatever, and um and I remember one time I went to see him at uh you know play a show and um and he did like a uh, he did a cover of what was the cover that he did oh it was Jeff Buckley's Lover You Should Have Come Over he did like a cover of it and it really wasn't like a great cover and um and after the show I remember saying something to him very similar to like when somebody will just like send me that DM saying, don't quit your day job. I was like, oh, no. yeah, you kind of, you, the set the set was great, but you know, kind of butchered the, the Jeff Buckley cover or something like that. Cause I didn't realize how yeah. strong my words are, especially for an artist. Artists are very, you know, we, we tend to be sensitive about these kinds of things. Right. If you're promoting real shit. 
Yeah. If you're putting out like a mask of something, then it's it's fine. If you never really got started digging into something that's more truthful, more yeah. honest, yeah, then it doesn't hurt as much for someone to potentially question it. Yeah. But it's like the more that I think we can support and kind of and kind of massage out, you know, create a a, a place for people to feel comfortable being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more likely you are to be able to express like the like the Romans called it your inner daemon. Hmm. You hear that term? It's no. like your your inner voice that wow. speaks through, but it's like this, it's like deeper than, you know, who you think you are in social media and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that 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 inner voice. But but music acts as a really beautiful medium to be able to get out of the way of your yourself and allow something really that feels very honest and, and, and deep to come through. Mm-hmm. And then you're also putting yourself up on like the the chopping block because it's like oh that was like deeper than just like my shirt choice or something like that yeah i mean being an artist it's like this it's it's and i can relate even though my work today is about science and nutrition and there wouldn't seem to be you know on the surface any artistry about it um i do i i do feel like an artist and being an artist like you're you know if you're feeling even like the slightest bit off um, in terms of your confidence, it can like ruin your whole day, you know, like you could, it's just like, it's a really precious thing. And so, yeah, I just think you gotta be kind of like, you know, I think it's always good to be truthful and honest, but, uh, but I guess in the same breath, you've got to weigh whether or not your words are going to do the, you know, more harm than good, you know? And then there's another side of that where through, gradual exposure a person can become stronger and so if we are treating everyone like these precious little snowflakes and we live in this little like nerf reality where we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings yeah that actually could end up creating a larger volcano down the line yeah so another angle from that would be like oh you're doing him a favor by saying he's shit yeah well Yeah, I want. It's I, like a micro explosion. Yeah, it was like a little mini self-immolation. Like, like, oh god, like, okay, repair, repair. Yeah, I've thought about that because I, I <laughs> thought about the psychology of the person that would send me the message, "Don't quit your day job." Yeah, you know about about music. It's like a, it's a weird. They just don't see. They just they. Pr- it's probably like the perfect storm because again, it's like nine out of ten people. You know, like objectively, like the, I wouldn't put up something where I sounded bad, first of all. So there's that. It's like going back to what we started talking about initially, like I'm only putting up the clips where I think I sound good, you know. In this but present moment in reality. In this five present five years, moment. you'll probably feel differently. True. So that's always, it's like another yeah. kind of quandary that we're yeah. in. We're like, fuck, what is good? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's like people, it's that thing about being removed from the subject. You know, like when you... I think being a being a public figure and um, you know you experience this. We've all, especially this year, experienced this. You know, whether it's seemingly posting about anything, you're bound to get like negative comments. It's so easy to get negative comments from people that you know, and and to leave a negative comment when you would never say the same thing to a person's face. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that I think that's one of the other problems with, with social media is that there's like too much distance between you and the person that you're talking to. And it allows people to say things that they wouldn't ever otherwise say, you know, to your face. Yeah. There's like no accountability. Yeah. But, and then I'm just playing devil's advocate just for the hell of it. But, but the way that a person trauma, isn't a quantifiable. Okay, cool. There was 16 grams of trauma 
in this mm-hmm. in this incident. So that will be 16 grams to you, and to me, it will all <laughs> quantitatively affect in the same way. Yeah, that 16 grams of of weighed out trauma could affect another person. One person, it could make them. They could be able to kind of transmute that, and it makes them super strong. And then another person, it can completely collapse them. Yeah, and then another person, it could, you know, and so. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it's kind of a weird conversation of how to uh, just the way that a, a, like an organism interprets trauma in the first place, and like hearing a comment from somebody, essentially that would be if it really penetrates, that would be invoking some type of like essentially like probably early childhood trauma of some sort mm-hmm. starts coming up. Yeah, you know, but I mean, I'm not really saying anything right now. I just think it's interesting how we all interpret trauma in different ways. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think that I've ever, I don't think that I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. I'm like pretty privileged in that way, but, um, but I'm pretty sensitive to the suffering of others and, you know. Do you think it's possible to be sensitive to the suffering of others if you haven't experienced suffering yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've probably experienced suffering on a... I mean, I've certainly experienced suffering over the past couple of, like I have I'm I guess what I'm what I meant to say was I didn't I haven't really experienced a lot like I don't have a lot of childhood trauma. I had a pretty good upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um but I experienced trauma in like my relationships and and of course in a major way with my mom um and my mom's illness and and uh and my mom's maybe you know I I was able to um, you know, vicariously experienced trauma through, through my mom and my mom's relationships. Never, never sort of personally, you know, I had like a, I was just very lucky with my own, with my own upbringing, but I think being, being around my mom who suffered immensely has, has kind of sensitized me. Um, so it was like more vicarious trauma. Yeah. But being lucky with trauma is a weird thing. Is it like, so middle-aged white men have the highest incidence of suicide, like by like a, a landfall. Like middle-aged white men. Middle-aged white wow. men. So the people that are seemingly like the luckiest end up having the highest usage of anti-psychotic medication and anti-depression, and um, end up you know having the highest likelihood of ending their lives. Uh, but meanwhile, they they happen to be in this experience. It's like oh, that's like you're the lucky ones, and so there's there's like an interesting. I think balance between like being lucky and that indicating that nothing really happened. And then the unlucky person that is gradually going through this essential like exposure therapy through their whole life. And then what you see with people that do grow up in like more urban environments or cities or whatnot, they end up being much better in uh, military scenarios, for example, with with detecting bombs Hmm. in the street whatever the term for that person that would do that would be. And so they can see things in the world that a person that grew up in like a more like what we might conceive as like lucky that they just won't see, which is, so it's it's just an, once again, I don't really have any question or anything. It's just an interesting thing. Like how we, I think an important thing for any person is to be able to come to a point of just resolve with their, their, their past and their history, you know, whatever that may be. No, but if you, as long as we're in a place where it's like we don't see how our history actually does serve us and you know brought us to this this point that we are today um then we have this kind of like weight of our past but i feel like going through a process of getting to a point where it's it's all 
you can just find kind of understanding of like, okay, that happened, this trauma happened, and that caused me to become stronger, and now here I am, versus the person that uh, doesn't experience a lot. Sometimes yeah. I think that can lead to kind of like a just a more explosive, what's the volcano called that's that builds up, builds up, and then blows up, versus the one that slowly oozes? Ooh, I don't know. It's like strata. Do you guys know what it's called? Volcanoes? I'm actually not a volcano expert. Actually, no. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> <laughs> No volcano. <laughs> Delilah? No, Del- no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, trauma definitely, it makes you strong. Um, you know, it. Uh, I know some people who have had trauma and they become like almost too calloused, you know. so it's, That too. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, I think, do the work to make sure that it's like, uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's got to be a balance. It's I a think. perfect balance. Yeah. If you go too callous, then you become the capped up volcano, like yeah. like literally. And if you have like PTSD from your trauma, you got to find a way to, to deal with that. And thankfully now we have like a number of really interesting tools emerging to help people deal with PTSD because that's a real thing too. Yeah. I wonder, we'll wrap the thing up kind of soonish. Um, but so I, as you're talking about training your voice, I wonder if you've, if you noticed any personality shifts or like outlook shifts as you cultivated your voice, because I think it's interesting we're, we're kind of in a sense continually like tuning our nervous system based off of the sounds that come out of our body yeah you know and so if i'm the type of person that is kind of high-pitched voice and talks really fast and always feels kind of anxious i'm literally reasserting that anxiousness into my into myself and so i i I wonder if as you cultivate your vocal cords as you're like learning how to use your your sound sound maker did that do you feel like you notice any change in who you were as a person? Oh man, that's such a good question. I'm actually very passionate about like vocal vocal performance and vocal health and how your voice is an expression of like who you are Whoa. and um, and how your voice changes when you're feeling more or less confident and um, and how changing your voice can actually make you feel, you know, it's like a, there's like a reverse causality. Like your voice changes when you feel less confident. You know, you, maybe you speak more uh, breathily, maybe, you know, your voice volume, you know, kind of diminishes, but you can actually like make yourself form, feel more confident just by learning how to speak better, you know, and, and to like breathe properly from your diaphragm the same way that we now know that, you know, obviously you smile when you're happy and when you're projecting happiness, but just forcing, just you forcing yourself, just, uh, you know, voluntarily utilizing the muscles that are involved in smiling can actually change your mood for the better. Um, so and change your voice. You can hear people smiling through the phone. Yeah. Um, so I think like mastering your own voice, like your your vocal apparatus, uh, you know, your larynx, like I think is a really important for you know tool for people um, or a practice for people. Um, you know, learning how to breathe and speak from your diaphragm, crucially important. Uh, knowing how to like, you know, enunciate, intonate, to not be breathy. Um, I think learning a little bit about the physiology of the larynx and like, you know, uh, I think that can be, that can be super useful. And then also ultimately just like, you know, making friends with your, with, with your voice and how you sound. Um, that's good. Yeah. I've always, uh, wanted to be more of like a tenor when I sing, for example, but obviously I have a deep voice. And so I've like worked really hard to like expand my range, but I've also had to swallow the bitter pill that I'm probably never going to have the range that like, you know, I'm never going to sound like Jeff Buckley, like in those like higher registers. Um, but that's okay. Like, uh, you know, you have like, 
you ha you literally I mean you just have to learn to master your instrument and to emote from from like from where you are and that's really what's going to draw people to your voice whether it's like public speaking or singing yeah you know this the same thing applies yeah there was a great um I became kind of friendly with Josh Groban a couple of years ago and uh and um, I remember like seeing an interview with him. I actually was not familiar with his music at all before I met him. And then I was like, oh, who is this guy? Yeah. And I mean, I love his music. He's so he's so incredibly talented. But um, I remember reading like an interview with him where he was saying, and he's obviously, he's one of the most successful recording artists in the world, right? And uh, his, his music might not be for everybody necessarily, but I remember reading a very, uh, an interview with him where he just came off so, so humbly. And I, I related to what he was saying, you know, that he growing up, all he wanted to do was sound like Eddie Vedder. And and if he would have just continue, continually tried to be that type of vocalist, he probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere in his career. I think I'm I think I'm like accurately portraying like the gist of what I got from that interview. But the minute he accepted like what his own voice actually sounded like and what he was actually meant to sing like, um, which is like this much bigger, you know, more operatic, you know, vocal style, that's when his career took off. And so I think it's a powerful lesson for all of us to just, you know, to master your own instrument, to not try to sound like anybody else. Mm. Um, and yeah, that applies to singing, but it also applies to like what we're putting out in the health and wellness world. It applies to like the content of our podcasts. You know, it applies to everything really. Yeah, You've got to, um, you know, do, do the work, discover, you know, your voice and what that sounds like, and then just go all in and own it. How does one start to, to action steps to doing that? Um, I think experimentation is important. Like always being willing to, um, you know, like, like take risks and experiment, mm. um, be willing to sound like shit, uh, be willing to fail. Um, and, uh, and, and, and try to like, look at the bright side, like, like listen back to your talks or look at your content, listen to your voice and rather than always thinking critically about it, try to, you know, uh, crystallize in your mind, like envision what it is about it that you like, you know. Um, I might not like my voice when I get like super, super high, uh, but, but, you know, I do like it, like I do like the tone of my voice at certain, you know, in certain registers. Um, and so you can kind of like lean into that, like you can be like, okay, well, how do I get that tone like at a higher register or how do I like write songs where I'm able to emote, you know, in that sort of like frequency. Cause again, you know, like being like authentically being authentic, um, is really what I think, you know, magnetizes people to your voice or to your yeah. work or to your art or to whatever it is, you know, being authentically you. I think it's cause people crave authenticity with them themselves and they don't necessarily always have the most seamless education on how to tap into that and so when you stumble into somebody that seems like they're projecting something that's like wow that's just them yeah it's less like oh yeah everybody can kind of like let us side like oh okay cool. like there's like somebody that that took the mask off you know and that can kind of create this this catalyst which is kind of gets into and we'll, we'll actually officially wrap up but i think that a person in the modern age where a lot of people, at least in LA, it's like everybody's 
you know, a social media influencer and they're all trying to build their thing and they, I need to have a message that moves mountains and I need to like make a difference. Um, I think that ends up leading to a lot of, um, the, what did you, what did you call it? You taught me a word recently, the, the Rudding Kruger, what's it called? The Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger yeah. effect. There's a lot of Dunning and Kruger effect. Dunning happening. and Krugering? Dunning, Dunning and Krugering <laughs> is going down out the wazoo. Yeah. With me. I'm a Dunning Kruger. We all are. Hardcore. Yeah. We were so so Dunning Kruger essentially is is you the less you know about a thing, the more uh well I, I kinda read a couple of different things, but my sense of it is when you know a little bit about a thing, when you're reading like the elementary school version of the book, mm-hmm. you have this idea that you know everything about it. And yeah. you get very outspoken, you have these opinions and you like you deem yourself as an expert because you just don't realize the depth of the subject. Yeah. And uh, there, a, there is something good about that, though, because there yeah. it, it does take a certain level of naivete to to believe that your voice freaking matters. Oh, that's true. You know, there good is point. a certain amount of like almost stupidity that like uh, that like that that you need to be successful in something to 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 believe fully, you know, in your own head um, that your voice matters and that you've got something unique to say. Because if point. you didn't, like, you would never. You know, like, if I didn't actually believe that, I never would have got it, gotten started in health. And, you know, musicians, you know, like, it's, there's there's already, like, you know, every love song has already been written, right? But a musician starting out, you know, they, they just believe that their perspective, their voice is going to be, you know, unique and it's going to offer a new twist, a new angle from which to, like, view this thing that, you know, that others might think has already been looked at from every possible angle. So Dunning-Kruger effect is almost like a, it's like a survival mechanism for people that actually don't have any business doing a thing <laughs> to begin starting a thing. And then the people that are already well deep into it, yeah. that have already established themselves, they have deep roots. They're like, okay, I can pull back a little bit and just kind of like do my art and you know, I don't need to be proving any points. Yeah. You know, but when you first start with a thing, yeah, if everyone had the perception of, yeah, you're right, I don't actually really know anything, and there's people that are experts on this, so I should just shut up, uh, I guess perhaps no one would ever really actually start anything, because we'd all kind of come, we'd start in that point. Yeah, and that's also why, like, so the... So go Dunning-Kruger effect, everybody. Yeah, go Dunning-Kruger. Have at it. Yeah, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> all right, you got another person coming in right now, so we got to stop this thing. Dude, this is so fun. I enjoyed this experience. Always a blast. <laughs> Hanging with you. Yeah. <laughs> we always talk about something different, too. I know. We gotta keep it, keep it functional. Yeah, I've got to get you back on mine. Well, I'm down. I'm down to do it. The uh, Genius Life. People need to go to grab the book. Grab the book, The Genius Life. Subscribe to my podcast, the also genius called life. The Genius Life. Convenient. Yeah. And then on the Instagram, you're Max Lugavere. Max Lugavere. L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. Yep. Bang out. Thanks for doing this. I'm not on on the gram uh, shirtless as often as you are, uh-uh. but I, I hope to provide value in other ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you use your mind. <laughs> yeah. It's different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening. Over now. Thank you all so much for tuning to that podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Max is a really tremendous human being. He has a huge heart. He is a kind, handsome fella. 
and he's just great. If you guys haven't checked his stuff out, check him out. If you enjoyed a certain particular part of that podcast, grab it, screen share it, record it, whatever, and uh, put it out. Share it out on the Instagram, share it out Facebooks, wherever you do it. Uh, you can tag me at Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-N Podcast on Instagram, and you can also tag Max Lugavere at Max Lugavere. Thank you guys for uh, reviews, and if you're interested in sorting out your breathing practice, I highly recommend getting on the first week of the Align Method Online program. It is absolutely free, and each video is well curated. We gave many shits on putting that thing together, and it was a lot of work, it was a labor of love, and uh, it's absolutely free for you guys to start. No strings attached. It's um, jump onto Align Podcast on the Instagram. The link is in the bio, or you can go to alignpodcast.com and you'll find it there. And I uh, hope you guys love it. We get into specific breathing practices on tuning that nervous system, either stimulating your nervous system or calming you down. We get into mindfulness practices and we get into some movement stuff on that first week. I know you guys are going to love it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And uh, I will be speaking to your ear holes again in about seven days. Thanks so much. Bye.